Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And uh, today we've got a podcast where hockey is not the sport in a lockout, shockingly. How do we feel? I would say uh, we, we, we don't really talk baseball. I know Chase isn't the biggest baseball fan. I like it, but uh, um, it, it feels I wish weird. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, it feels something that would be uh, up your alley with how much, how statistically driven it is. But uh, well, I've read I guess like I, fifteen books on it. And just <laughs> can't watch it at all. It it feels weird watching people bicker over uh, sports contracts and stuff like that, and it not be the NHL. So uh, we won't really talk about that too much. I don't think either of us really have any input on on things to say. But I, I thought it was worth a note. Um, uh, we don't have a ton to talk about news wise this week in terms of uh, on ice stuff. That's for sure. But uh, there's definitely some some off ice stuff. Um, you know, very real world stuff and then also a GM, GM hiring we want to get into. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the first thing we got to bring up is obviously the situation in Ukraine with uh, Russia and um, that's affecting hockey as well. You know, obviously hockey is not the important thing here. Um, the important thing is the safety of the citizens. And, you know, obviously I don't think it's a hot take for anyone to say we're against uh, war. Um, war is bad. Yes. Yeah. I don't think we're crazy. Yeah. We're not breaking any barriers with this, that take or anything like that, but um, it does affect hockey. And uh, just today it was announced or expected to be announced that uh, Russian and Belarus players are not going to be allowed to be drafted by the OHL or in the CHL. And um, the other thing was that uh, Russia and Belarus have been kicked out of uh any double IHF tournaments for the next couple of years. So Russia loses the world juniors, which is supposed to be this coming year. I believe it was supposed to be in Russia, maybe next year, but they've lost it. Uh, They're out of the world cup. I believe this means they're probably out of the world juniors too. uh, If I'm not mistaken. Um, And Belarus is out of the world cup as well. And whatever world junior minor tournament they were in. So um, yeah, like I really don't have a ton to say on it. Um, It's, I, I, I don't envy the people making these decisions. That's for sure. Um, I think. No, there's a lot of like valid points too. Cause people are like, Oh, just ban them there. They invaded uh, the Ukraine. That seems pretty reasonable, but also like the athletes didn't do the invasion. And then there's also like, well, America invaded Iraq and we didn't do anything to them. But then there's also, Oh, well, two wrongs don't make a right. And there's just kind of a lot of angles you can come at it with. Yeah. Yeah. And like I've seen the argument for banning, you know, Russian athletes is that, uh, you know, Putin uses or Russia in general uses uh, sports and especially a sport like hockey as, you know, um, something to celebrate in Russia and a very uh, patriarch, patriotic thing. Right. Like, yeah, so- hockey specifically, especially like with Obi's ties to Putin and stuff like it. I'm we're not Russian, but it seems like hockey is just a huge part of their culture and whatnot there. Yeah, absolutely. We all remember how important it was to them that they won a gold medal in 2014 in Sochi, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so obviously I think one of the biggest talking points in the NHL has been Ovechkin. And, you know, obviously he came out and he made a statement about, uh, I think it's had something along the lines of no more war or he doesn't want war, doesn't matter who's in it. And uh, didn't say much further than that. You know, it, again, it led to debates because people brought up valid points, especially I, I thought valid points about why you don't need to go ask every Russian player what they think of this, because we weren't parading around asking every American player what they thought of invading, you know, Iraq or whatever. And, you know, even now, like there, there's, brutal things going on in North America that we don't bother asking NHL players or never would. So, you know, why is it that you have to go ask every Russian player? And, um, you know, I think that's fair. And I also think it's fair to say, well, Ovechkin's a little different because he has actively campaigned for Putin, um, you know, to the point where he set up a website to support him. Um, That's not just, not saying bad things about him. Right. And like, and I get it, like he's probably got family in Russia still. So there's only so much you might be able to say, but it's, I think it's fair to at least question the guy who's gone above and beyond to support this guy, you know, what he thinks of it now. And 
I think it's also fair for Ovechkin to not comment on it until, you know, especially if while it's still such an ongoing situation, but. Yeah, it seems reasonable to ask. Like there's a lot to be said about, well, Ovi's been groomed to be who he is from a very young age and all that. But the reality is actions have consequences, whether I would have taken the same actions or you would have taken the same actions as Ovi was if the roles were reversed. Um, that's kind of a different question than whether he deserves to be at least asked about it, right? Like, if you do that, you have to be willing to accept the consequences. I think yeah, sounds reasonable, right? Like, it's not a big leap that if you're going to ca- actively campaign for a guy and then he invades a sovereign nation, you're going to get asked about it. Yeah, and when the consequences are... You get asked about it once you give your answer. I think that's fair. Like I, I don't, I'm not sitting here advocating for any time a development happens in the war. People are just badgering Ovechkin for the next two weeks. I couldn't, I could frankly care less, you know, like about. Yeah. I, yeah, I, don't I, don't, care. I, I would say, I don't know if that's the right word. I could care less about, you know, what he personally thinks about it though. Right. Like it's the same with like any, like, I don't know if you saw Paul Statsny. Uh, it came out that him and his family donated to the trucker freedom convoy. I did not see and that. He, he had a bad interview this week as well. But it's like, I don't want them anytime something comes up. I don't want reporters asking Paul Statsny about that because I don't want to hear his opinion on that. You know, but yeah. at, at but the same time. But you do deserve to get asked when you put yourself yes. publicly. Yeah, right? exactly. Like you're making that a certainty. And again, that's independent of, because the big comeback with Obi is like, well, he's Russian, he's got family there and he's been groomed to do this. But like, that's kind of besides this, that's an interesting point that has good arguments going both ways. But like, that's beside the point of whether you should get asked because you should, right? Yeah. And like, again, him being at like, I didn't really take any issue with what he said, you know, like he didn't really, he didn't, obviously advocating against the war, but he didn't really say anything one way or the other. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, I don't know kind what, of what you can expect. Yeah. And that's like, it is what it is. It's, I don't want to use the word fine, but like, it's kind of what you should have expected to happen. Right. So. Um, yeah. Like he was never going to come out and be like, fuck Vladimir Putin. Yeah. No, like, and you know, I don't think he was, there was ever a, aware spot he was going to come out on the other side either be like yeah we should be invading ukraine right because that would that would raise a lot a lot lot more questions um and you know and that would be a significant issue obviously but um, (laughs) yeah and that's why you have to ask the question by the way yes exactly because like as as much as i say he's not going to do it like there might be a two percent chance that he actually did say something like that right so um yeah it's not a good situation it's a scary situation horrible no. situation this is Especially. like the least i've wanted to talk about something on the podcast yeah it's doing this. it's one of those cases where it's like anytime i can't even say something like this come up because it's a totally different situation but anytime something tough to talk about you know i try and spend most of the day of like at least just trying to say what you want to think about what i want to say and i just don't have much to say in this situation and like yeah it's uh, anyone, anyone who follows me on Twitter, like I'm usually, I will tweet about just about anything. I don't really think I've said a word about this other than just, you know, like our thoughts are obviously with anyone in Ukraine right now, especially Kiev. Um, yep. But I, it's just a tough situation regardless. And yeah, like I, I really don't have much more to say than that because it's, um, you know, it, it's not something that anyone wants to see happen you know anywhere in the world so um exactly yeah that, that'll probably be most of what you know you hear us talk about uh obviously and i think you know we we've said this before i've definitely said this before that uh it's important to toe the line of this podcast is meant to be kind of an escape and you know trying to have some fun or or you know just take your mind off of you know real real life stuff but that obviously doesn't give us an excuse to just never talk about topics like this either. So uh, it's about trying to find a balance and yeah. Unless you have anything more to say, I'm good to move on from here. Yeah. I got nothing else. Yeah. um, There's no real easy transition from a topic like that, but let's go to the other piece of um, 
big news that we wanted to talk about. We had written down um, this week, and and that was that uh, uh, the G uh, the new GM has been hired in Chicago um, after a five month search in which they went far and wide, getting the old school guys like Peter Shirelli, the new school guys like. Um, uh, Tulski from Carolina, Eric Tulski, um, not even guys in the sport. They interviewed a, a baseball guy. The Chicago Blackhawks settle on the dude who is always, who has already been in their organization and has been a part of the organization for a decade now. Um, just convenient as hell. Isn't that the most qualified <laughs> candidate happened to have been there the whole time? Yeah. It's uh, shocking how those things work out. And, you know, um, I, I don't really have much to say on this. Uh, you know, obviously I think it's, Again, it's something when a GM gets hired, me and you kind of, we, we don't really know who's good or bad. I mean, there's a few people I think we, we can know who's bad, tell I think. that are very bad. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? You know, we kind of don't uh, know who's good. But my biggest comment on this was just like, who knows if this is the best option or not? Like, congratulations to uh, Kyle Davidson is his name. Um, and congratulations to Davidson, but it's just absolutely so funny to me that they staged this huge dog and pony show on how wild they were getting with their, you know, GM search and how totally outside the box they were getting with these hiring practices just to settle on the guy who's been with their organization for 12 seasons now. Um, again, like I, maybe it's the right, maybe he could be a good, he could be the best GM we've ever seen. And it just still will not, not be funny to me that this is, you know, what they decided with. Yep. Yeah. Even if he's great, it's just a hilarious look, especially because like you said, like they didn't just interview the same three names that are up for every job. Like it seems like they went really far out of their way to be like, look, like more than even usually teams do to be like, look, we're interviewing everybody. Yeah. Like this isn't just the, the team put through the media. Oh, they're really casting a wide net here. They literally went out of their way and said, Look at this guy we're interviewing, and this guy, and yeah, like, they tweeted them all out, right? Yeah, which like I didn't mind. I, I saw some people yeah. like kind of laughing at it. it's like, well, the NFL does the exact same thing. The team account maybe doesn't, but like when someone the goes in, the team account a, was doing it for Miami this year. I was just saying they don't always not do it. That's for sure. Um, but you know, like, and even if the team account doesn't, you know, within a minute of the interview happening, because the team leaks it right out to the reporters who, you know, put it, um, whereas in, you know, hockey, it's just kind of like, well, I'm hearing they got some interest in Peter Shirelli and two other guys that, uh, were bad GMs at one point. Um, so I, I didn't really mind them tweeting it out. It's just, yeah, it's kind of funny that they, they settle on the guy who was already there and, um, you know, a fair point. I think it was Puck Soup that I was just listening to that um, made. It's like, well, you know, maybe they had already kind of figured that this was their guy, but instead, you know, they bring a bunch of guys in to tell them what how they would handle situations, and you get a bunch of free information from different thinkers like Tolski and whoever the guy from the Cubs was or whatever, and that's not the worst thing in the world. But, um, yeah, it's just obviously it deserves to get memed on that it's like, well, uh, yeah, you hired another hockey dude. Like, to be fair, like this guy is – pretty young. It's not like this guy has been a GM three times elsewhere. And it's absolutely sucked at it or anything like that, but um, it's just another young white, white dude really, Right. So it's like, there's still a shocking lack of diversity. And again, that only means so much coming from another young white dude who is recording a hockey podcast right now, but um, those are just the facts, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's just, it might not be horrible or anything, but it, it's just objectively funny. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what he kind of does here, too, because the other thing that, and this was something that I was just listening to Puck Soup and they brought up, is a very good point, is like, how did this guy convince him that they're the right guy for the job when he was the assistant GM? Like, he's been the assistant GM, uh, and he was when they made that Seth Jones trade. So it's like, was he I super against... I always love that dynamic. Right? Like, was he... Because if you're he, like, this last guy's so bad, he's fired. How do you think that much like him? Yeah, or, well, exactly, right? Or, or do you like throw this, him under the bus or like... Does Kyle Davidson have some evidence of him texting and being like, no, no, this is a horrible idea. Let's not do that or whatever. Or like, because yeah. if he was if he was all in on the trade, it's like, okay, well, like, you're going to be in the same issue you were literally last offseason because this is the dude that was supposed to be helping make this trade. Yeah, especially because so, like Dubas Hunter is the opposite, the obvious example of the opposite where like, they were clearly wildly different human beings in like the same thing, but 
people tend to attract people like them. Mm-hmm. It's not a crazy like H zero assumption to just assume they probably think at least somewhat alike. Yeah. And again, maybe he doesn't, I don't know, but uh, it's definitely a fair point where it's like, you know, I really hope they did their due diligence on like, okay, so if you were the assistant GM, what were you doing that uh, you didn't or What was happening that you didn't like? Because um, this is a bit of a mess with this roster and they're, they're really not in a good spot. Um, and it kind of sounds like the reports are saying that Mark Andre Fleury may be leading to want to stay in Chicago for this year, which like I... is the worst case. Well, I, I think it's because, like, so basically he wasn't even he's sure he kids, wanted right? to go to Chicago. Yeah. He's got kids. So I think the his biggest thing is he doesn't really want to get up and uproot their lives again. And, you know, he's already obviously got the cups. He got a Vesna last year and he's had a couple big playoff runs with the, uh, the golden Knights, obviously, I think it's been what a Stanley Cup final, a surprise first round exit, and two conference finals for them now, um, yeah. which is just insane to list off like that. But um, yeah, so it's like if he wants to stay, like that's a worst case scenario for them because, like, that's your guaranteed at least probably a first round pick, but maybe a second rounder, right? Like, I would assume there's there's a couple teams this year that are in playoff spots that might be desperate enough for some goaltending, especially at half retained, you probably could get close to a first round pick for him. And if he doesn't want to move, it's like, well, Calvin DeHaan and Eric Gustafson are on their way out. And then it's like, you either got to hope that there's a team with cap space that wants like a half retained Patrick Kane or something like that. Or you're going to be selling on like Alex Stabrinkit, whose name's been in there, but he's like, he's one of the few guys you might want to think about keeping around. Yeah, he might realistically be there and good when the team gets better. No, if they if they wanted to trade him, I wouldn't like. If you really want to scorch earth this, you could convince me that Alex Debrinket's fine to go. But if you're going to sell Alex Debrinket and keep Flurry, Kane, and Taves, I think that would be a massive mistake. Yeah, yeah, Debrinket is not the one you should be choosing to sell. Now, if it's not your choice. We can have a different conversation, <laughs> but yeah. if that is the route they choose to go, that'd be pretty tough. Exactly. And then that's the thing too here, right? Like Kane and Taze both have full no move clauses. So it's like, well, you know, and a couple of years ago when it, they kind of said we're hinting at this mini retooling or whatever, they're like, well, we don't want to do that. But, you know, maybe with a year, I think they have two, a year and a half left. They each have a year after this at 10.5, you know, they could really easily eat some money here. And, um, you know, I, Taves, I don't know, maybe the leadership quote unquote would still get 5.25. Maybe someone take a swing. He's been so hurt. Like he's back on the iron now though. He's so hurt. Maybe they keep him, but like Patrick Kane, you could get a first and a real good prospect. I think for, if you give even at this deadline, 5.25 for two playoff runs of Patrick Kane, you could get disgustingly close to the Jack Eichel trade for Patrick Kane if you're willing to retain. I'm reasonably certain. Yeah, and so it more depends if he wants to go anywhere. But and I don't know. Like we know that both Kane and Taves do love Chicago, but like Duncan Keith got moved out last summer, right? So it's like, oh, a lot of this core's gone. Maybe you know if if they go, hey, we, hey, Kane, we're gonna flip you to the Boston Bruins or something like that, like. Maybe he goes, ah, I, that, there's probably worse places to go than uh, play with Taylor Hall on a second line in Boston or, hell, play with Bergeron on a first line in Boston or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, it just all depends how much they, they really still want to take swings at the cup. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, this is a harder one, too, because, you know, I feel like when we we came with Vancouver or whatever, it's like, well, here's what you kind of can do or, like, here's some assets around it. This one all depends on if the three guys in Flurry, Kane, and Taves that you give full no move, I mean, Flurry has a, a modern one, a modified one, but it's, I think it's basically a handshake deal that they're not going to ship him off to like Dallas if he doesn't want to go there or whatever, right? Like, yeah, I have but, to imagine he wasn't waving in the first place if they were going to be like, yeah, we're just going to throw you wherever. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of sounds like he basically gets to determine where he wants to go or, you know, if he wants to move or not. So it, it depends like this one, it, it fully comes down to like, are the three guys that, you know, you could get actual assets for and to bring it too. like, if you sold to bring it, you would get, you could probably get a haul because it's a 24 year old who has a year left or a year and a half left on a extremely good contract. And he's an RFA after it too. Right. So. Yeah. I forgot he's an RFA when that that uh that ends 
Yeah, and so uh, Strom's another one that'll probably be on the move, I, I would assume. But um, yeah, How'd like it's strong though. Well, they are healthy scratching them to start this year. I, I really don't think they're going to get more than like a third or something like that for them. Yeah, like you can talk somebody into giving up something for them, but it's definitely not going to be like a big. No, like if I'm Ottawa, I would like I, I would love Ottawa to try and take a swing at Dylan Strome, but Ottawa's not going to give them more Ottawa, like maybe Montreal, a second. Yeah, Arizona. exactly. Well, <laughs> teams like that, yeah, give up a yeah. pick, just take a shot on the guy. Exactly. Like so, yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where Chicago kind of goes from here. Um, the, again, the blue lines a math that. Math mess. They have uh, Seth Jones on it for eight years, starting next year at nine point five. Um, they'll probably sell the Han. It's just the cherry on top that Jones doesn't kick in until next year. <laughs> I know that massive contract extension doesn't start, hasn't even started yet, and it just looks like a mess already. Um, so yeah, I, I just this is a team that kind of has like twenty fourth written all over it for the next four years unless they can trade away a couple pieces and get a little worse than that so they can fully rebuild yep and you love to see it because fuck the chicago blackhawks yeah i don't really have any pity for them at all so um before we started recording um i was looking on twitter and i said to you why is pavel buchnevich trending but it turns out he's making his return to the new york rangers this uh tonight as we're recording this and shocker uh, it's big talk in New York because he has been unreal. And who could have predicted that one coming? Except for I anyone who's looked at analytics ever. So much when a guy has just insane underlying numbers and then he gets traded for peanuts and then he goes somewhere else and kills it. Those are my favorite, uh, my favorite trades basically all the time. Yeah. And like Beach Nevix is one where it's like you were yelling about him for like five years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, my- <laughs> Stats loved him when he was like a teen. No, I don't think he played as a teenager, but like the second he entered the NHL. Yeah. And like I was, I jumped on, I wasn't as high on maybe right away, but even this probably two or three years ago, I jumped on. I was like, oh, give this guy ice time and he will just be good. And they just never bothered to do it. And then they went full hockey brain this year and traded him for Sammy Blaze and a second round pick. Yeah. Sammy Blaze, who was Yeah. Who was they didn't even get a first for him? I, I remember that was insane at the time. Sammy Blaze, who was injured, but currently has four points in 14 games. Yep. Just where just beautiful. Yeah. Whereas Bujnevich uh has 46 points in 46 games. The dude's point per game this year. <laughs> so I like um, leads the blues in war too. Oh, yeah. Like he's been one of the big reasons that they've been able to kind of outperform their um maybe expected goal kind of pace here and have been one of the top teams in the West. Like, Oh, and that contract he's on three and a half more years of 5.8 that they just signed this summer. That, uh, that could look, that could look real good for uh, a New York team desperate for good wingers and secondary scoring of any kind. That could look very good for a New York team that uh, thinks they're a contender right now, despite the fact that they're pretty much only a goalie. Yeah. Like, but have you thought of why spend 5.8 on that when you could spend on Sammy Blaze, Barkley Goudreau, and Ryan Reeves? Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about Barkley Goudreau's leadership, right? That's got to be worth at least 75 points a year. Yeah. And how many punches do those guys throw? Like Exactly. Because when I watched the Tampa Bay Lightning last year, my big takeaway was Barkley Goudreau and the boys are how you win cups, not point-per-game wingers and centers. Yeah, absolutely. You big, dumb idiots. You don't know what you're watching. I can't get over how good Sturkin's been. It's not even like his his um, advanced goalie stats are unreal. The dude's got a 941 save percentage this year. Yeah, isn't he on pace to have, like, the best season of all time? That or, like, must the be, analytics era? Yeah, like, that must be the best save percentage since, like, the salary cap has been in- implemented. I have to imagine it is. Best single season NHL save percentage. We, like, and who knows if he keeps it up, but like even like a 938 would have to be. Okay, yeah, here we go. So number one is uh, Craig Anderson in 2012-2013 at 940.9. That was the shortened season, I believe, right? Yeah, there's a lot of 
rate stats or percentage stats that set records that year. Yeah, he, time to regress. He had it in 24 games. So um, uh, Shesterkin's already over that. Shesterkin is currently uh, third all-time, second since the lockout. Jacques Plante is first in 1970-71 <laughs> with a 944 uh, in – Mike, he was 42 years old when he did that. That's kind of impressive. That's insane. Uh, his career is wild. He started playing when he was uh, 27. His save percentage went 930, 920, 924, 925, 915. That was all, I think, above well above league average. 904, 923, 912, 910, 902. Then when he turned, he took four years off. And then when he turned 40, uh, he had a 940, a 918, a 944 uh, at age... 42, uh, a 917, a 911 at age 43 and 44. Um, that is crazy within itself. (laughs) That is nuts. Um, I, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, Tim Thomas, but came back better. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know if he won the Vesna in the year. He, he must have. I would think think so. 940. Like you remember when Dubnik, like you usually hear 920 and that's like so good. You know, the player is going to be, have good underlying numbers too, but like Dubnik sometimes had bad. 940 is just so good. You know, it's. According to hockey reference, he did not win the Vesna. He came uh, fifth in heart voting and second in all-star voting. Whatever that, or like all second team all-star. I Okay. Now I need to look this up. This isn't great podcasting, but this is. This is incredible. Uh, no I love when people way. are like half in, half out with goalies on the heart as if they either should absolutely fucking win it basically every year or just not. We should like shadow ban them from the award. Yeah. Like there should be no scenario in which a goalie like that comes fifth. Um, all right. Well, I can't even find it, but that doesn't matter. Um, sorry. Okay. Back, back to the uh, Shesterkin thing. But yeah, like Shesterkin. So, and then Brian Elliott is fourth in uh, save percentage. He had a 940-0.3 in 2011-12. So that well, was a decimal place. Yeah. Well, so 0.9403, I guess, is what it is. But And Shesterkin's got a 9405 right now. Uh, Craig Anderson finished his year with a 9409. So he very well has the possibility to be like, the first dude since the seventies to put up a nine forty. Yeah, just insane. Yeah, because then the next one after that was Tim Thomas at nine thirty eight and ten eleven, and then yeah. uh, Hasek, and then Schneider. Billy Huso is also ninth all time right now for single season. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, nine- he just like breaks goalie charts because he's got like no shots again so far. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, like that. That's just like. Sometimes I go, oh, yeah, like I know Shesterkin's having an incredible year because obviously. Um, and then I look at it and go, Mike, like that's even that's impressive just to look at in general. Shows how horrible that team is that they're maybe getting the best goalie performance of all time on a danger adjusted basis. And they're not even in the top three in their division. This, right is, the, like, this is the thing. It's like they should be an absolute slam dunk lock for First, maybe second, if you want to say that the Hurricanes are playing that well or whatever. But like, like they would be fourth in the Atlantic and like by three points with no games in hand on anyone. Yeah. And they're giving like the best goaltending performance we have seen in a very, very long time. But yeah, like they're they're third in their division right now. Uh the caps have really taken a tumble. The caps are like. It's not there yet by any means, but if the Caps keep playing like they have over the last like 15 games, the fourth, that second wildcard spot is going to be opened up to a bad team like a Detroit or a Columbus. I kind of didn't realize that the Caps have been so bad recently. They have like, and it's been goaltending a lot is what I've kind of understood. But like even Ovechkin has really, really cooled down from that start of the year. Like he is still, I think, stuck on 32 or 33 goals. He was like leading the Rocket Richard race by a while. And I think he's in fifth now. Like, Yeah, which makes sense. He was on a heater that was like it was cool to see because he's OB and he's old now. But he was always going to regress very aggressively from there. Yes, absolutely. And it's – um. I'm just trying to look to see what the, the Caps' last couple games are. But um, the one thing that 
really stuck out. And to me, this is why I think first in the Atlantic is so important is I feel like people are kind of underrating just how bad the capitals might be in terms of comparative to like, like, I don't think like, I, I don't think people are understanding how aggressive the gap between having to play the capitals versus one of the Panthers lightning or Leafs would be. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely huge. The Capitals are the worst team in the Eastern Conference playoffs by a while, assuming Shesterkin still. He doesn't even need to necessarily be a god, but as long as he's still, like, really, really good. Yes, exactly, right? So, um, and it's like they're not horrible possession-wise. They're just a very average team that's getting older and is losing some of its shooting talent. And maybe in a weaker conference, like in the West, that would probably still be good for like the fourth or fifth best team. But in the East, and the Pacific, is, that's probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. In the Pacific, you might actually be battling for like first in your conference pretty handily, but instead you're 19 or 14 points behind it. Yep. The Pacific is another one where it's getting really interesting as well, because um, the golden Knights have done so much dancing to like get around the cap and obviously get Eichel in. And, you know, obviously like we, we sung their praises for it and uh, I still will. Like, I think it's smart to make your team as good as you possibly can. They have slid a lot to the point where they are not a lot for playoffs by any means uh, right now. No, absolutely not. I saw Micah had them dip under 80%, which would be pretty wild if they actually managed to blow that. Yeah. Like it's uh, Leonard's been out for now. Leonard's back, I think now, Um, but you know, he's been out for a decent amount. Uh, and, and Money Puck still has them at 84% for what it's worth. Like Money Puck really does not like the Anaheim Ducks, um, who have 61 <laughs> points in 56 games. Uh, yeah, I used to say, like, and the Ducks have really fizzled. They had a good 20 games. I feel like everyone's just kind of still pretending that the bloated, like like Troy Terry, John Gibson, and um, Zegers can pull this team all the way, and they've kind of cooled down as well. So, But still, like um, – even the fact that like it's it's a discussion to be having, or like even the fact that there is a chance that the Golden Knights, like they're only one point up on the Edmonton Oilers now, and Edmonton was having a absolute meltdown three weeks ago. Yeah, Edmonton was losing it, and they're tied in games played. Uh, the Kings are one up on the Golden Knights, and the Oilers are one behind. So you know you lose two of your next three, and you could suddenly be sitting in the second wild card spot. God, that'd be funny. So, um, which uh, Avs Golden Knights, imagine how the Avs absolutely kill the league, win the President's Trophy by like 30 points and have to come up to a Golden Knights team that's actually finally getting themselves healthy by for round one. Talk about a slugfest, but. That'd be so insulting. <laughs> it, uh, it really would. I, I think, um, you know, I, I still am very confident that they will make the playoffs. They're probably in a top three spot, to be honest, like. I don't trust Edmonton long-term and even LA, like I was higher on LA than most. I didn't really see LA cruising to like a second place thing. Like if LA finishes third or a wild card spot, that wouldn't shock me at all. So um, it'll be interesting, but it is like Calgary's got a stranglehold on this division now. Yeah. Which is kind of cool to see. Mm -hmm. Johnny Goudreau might like win the heart. They might win the division. He's going to get love for it. That's for sure. And they're at, they're like, they're at five points ahead of the Kings and they have two games in hand on everyone below them. So, you know, obviously that doesn't always work out, but there's a pretty good chance that they could be like seven points up when all things are equal. Yeah. Which at at that point, like I'd have to assume the odds of winning the division for them are like 65, 70, maybe even 80%. Like, Oh, I would think they got to be pretty high because it would take a pretty gross level of incompetence for them to not be given they have a seven point lead. Money Puck has it at 83%. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and just to compare, uh, <laughs> Central uh, Colorado's at 91%. Uh, Tampa's got 57% right now in the Atlantic with Toronto at 23 and Florida at 18. Uh, and Carolina is at 82% in the Metro. So, uh, Money Puck for sure is pretty confident in who three of the four division winners are going to be, which I think is fair enough to say. Like, if you're just looking, like, no one's catching the abs. They're 14 points up on the Blues right now. Yeah, and they're way better than everyone else. Yeah, exactly. They just they're killing them. They have like four losses since November or something like that. 
Yeah. And early November too, like it's March. And I know there was a COVID break and stuff in there, but still, um, and the Canes are just by far and away, I think the best team in their division too. Um, you know, maybe you could say the Penguins are, are close if they can keep everyone healthy, but um, the Canes are five points up and have two games in hand on the Penguins as well. Like I, I think like the, the cost has been sunk healthy. of the Penguins playing half the season without Malkin, right? Yes. Yeah. Done. So um, yeah, like it is kind of just the Atlantic that I think the, um, the, the, the division title is really wide open for. And, um, you know, it's quite the race it's going to be. Montreal, Toronto's got uh, 50, 74 points in 53 games, Florida 75 and 53, and Tampa 76 and 52. So, uh, and I think they play each other a bunch of times down the stretch yet as well. Like, I don't think they've really played each other all that much. So, uh, yeah, they have a lot fun. of games between each other. Yeah, so it has the potential to really shift if one team can go like six and zero, God forbid, against another one. Like they could really just take a stranglehold, but go on a heater at the perfect time. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of what you want to do heading in, right? So um, uh, we got a good question from one of our listeners, Chris. Uh, he said, obviously, the rumor cost of training for Sherrod is insane. Um, but if you're a team, I'll say a team like the Leafs, but you know, he said the Leafs because he's a Leafs fan. He said, what would you actually offer? Is a third too much, a fourth? Uh, he says he wouldn't uh, trade a second for him. Uh, this is a really interesting question, actually, because it depends if you factor in other things of like opportunity costs. Like, the, it, are we. I'm assuming we have to factor in like getting him probably means that you're taking on his cap hit as well. So that probably limits you from any other real big move that you can make. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this at all. I haven't had a ton of time, but like, what would you like if the Habs come out of it and go, geez, no one is offering anything for this guy. Like we thought, what is the bare minimum or like the most you would offer for Sherrod? So for Sherrod, I, I really like the concept of this question. Like, because usually when a guy's overrated, like uh, hockey people absolutely love him. They're talking about him going for first, but his underlying numbers aren't that good. People tend to be like too low on the player or whatever and talk like you wouldn't give up like a future considerations. You'd need to like cap dump them or whatever. But for like Ben Chirot specifically, if I'm the Leafs, I don't think I would literally offer anything because of the glut of left-handed defensemen they already have. Yeah, I think the only does now does the scenario change if you find out Jake Muzzin's done for the year with the concussion? Um, if that's the case, then what's his cap hit? Um, I want to say it's three something, right? Three point yeah, five. Three point five. And so that, that gets tough too. If it was at like one point eight. And you, like you could give up like a seventh for him just as depth or a sixth or whatever. I would probably take it a step farther. If you needed to fill a hole on your left side, I would probably give him like a third or a fourth because he is having a horrible year and he's not a great player in general, but like he has had at least like fine or respectable enough defensive results for like four years prior that it's like, it's not like he wasn't an NHL player. He's not a great one, but yeah, I think like he's, just so forgettable as a third pair guy or whatever. Yeah. Like if he, if there was no other options that you had that you liked any better and you know, you just kind of needed to go out a guy and Chirac can play the right side as well. But I think that's kind of why. Now he's like, get dicey. Yeah. Well, I think that's why he, he's demanding. They're demanding the first is because he has played the right side in Montreal. That would but, make sense. Yeah. But like but makes sense. I would like, I don't know. It's, I would maybe think about giving up like a third if you really needed them, but I would also have to do that in like the understanding that it's like, okay, we're using him on our third pair. Like there's no way you can be going to get Sherratt for your second pair defenseman expect to be a cup contender. No, absolutely not. There has to be a very serious understanding there. Yeah. Like, or if you want him to be your six or seven D, there's stuff, there's just value in, NHL competency, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we've talked about it, I think, when um, uh, with Chris, when he came on the show, uh, different Chris, but, uh, you know, he kind of said like draft picks are overrated, you know? Like, yeah, especially like I'm working on a draft thing 
And any kind of decent method I use fits sixth round picks value as like essentially zero. Like they're all asymptotically close to zero after a certain point, right? So yeah. And you know, six round pick for a depth guy. I could be convinced to do that. And I'm just looking at Micah's model, like Micah's model right now, and his isolated 5v5 impact. Uh Sherrod hasn't been like uh below average in his own end since 2017-18. Um, now this year is included. He's even a minus three this year, but you know, that model takes in prior. So take what take you want defense. from that. Right. Um, but like the, my, my point is more just like, it's not like this guy has never, ever, ever been able to do any, like it's not Rasmus or Stalina we're talking about here. You know, who he kind of reminds me of who is uh Lucic a few a few years ago where he's making six million dollars Edmonton did but, something really stupid they were getting dunked on all the time which they deserve to be but I was like a fourth liner Lucic was legitimately good yeah he's like a you very useful part of a good Calgary team now because they have him in his bottom in their bottom six yeah exactly he's kind of the same thing like I'm sure Sherrod if you need a defensive presence on your third pair be a great guy for you yeah I I definitely agree with that so uh yeah, the, the Muslim stuff is interesting for Toronto where it's, I think, you know, I was definitely, I could have been sold that they could go use an ups, uh, upgrade on their left wing instead of adding an offenseman. But if you're even like only 70% sure that Muslim is going to be able to play during the entire playoffs and not get injured for a third straight playoff in a row, I would probably be going to look to add another defenseman of some kind. Yeah, if you can get an impact one. Yeah, like, and, and this is a tough thing, too, because it's like, because Muslims hurt, it doesn't mean they should go add Sherratt or, like, even Klingberg, really, just because. No, like, you're almost just hoping Sandine can hang. Yeah, like, I right. think because when you're, what people think, I think people ignore is Sandine's numbers are amazing on this Leafs team. They're likely to regress if you played them on the second pair, but, like, I think Sandine is more likely to be good on your second pair than any other person you're going to bring in realistically, right? Probably, yeah. Like, I think, and I, I won't, like, I think we've seen Dubas do this a couple times maybe, is I, I could really see what happens is they kind of look at a guy who's more, um, has more term than just this year. Yeah, like, that wouldn't be bad if you could go term. A guy I've kind of been looking at, I don't know if he's played much more than just third pair in Columbus, but Vladislav Gavrikov is a guy who this is his third year in the NHL his rookie year. He was really good. And last year he put up some really good numbers, but I think he ended up playing a lot with like Wierenski, if I'm not mistaken, like it probably was, he probably wasn't as good as he looked, but like all three years of his career, he's been a plus player at both sides of the ice. Um, and he's 26 years old. He is a left-handed defenseman and makes 2.8 for this year and next. So like a name That'd be like, creative. Yeah, like a name like that, I could see them maybe wanting to do more than just going and getting your big name rental and paying a first for it, right? Yeah. Yeah, the term could make some sense because, yeah, I feel like if you're getting a rental to play second pair left-handed D, it's highly unlikely to me that you're going to get somebody that's even more likely to be good at it than Sandine, and you're going to have to pay a shitload for whoever that is. Yeah, exactly, and just like... And it's not because it's just like, even if uh, Muzzin's out, like I, I could understand why not upgrade your decor, but it's like, does Muzzin being out, like that still doesn't make spending a first round pick on Josh Manson smart, I don't think, you know, like. No, exactly. Muzzin being hurt doesn't make Josh Manson good. Yeah, so. I think like a good hockey player. Now, if, now the more I'm looking at it, maybe Sherrod for like a fourth would be less bad. But that's uh, if Muzzin's well, legitimately hurt, yeah, but that's just not gonna happen, you know. Like, no, no, it wouldn't. Back to Chris's question, though. But yeah, in realistically, it's not going to, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's kind of all I have on that. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. All right, let's try out this game then. Um, if I can open it. Um, I don't have a name for this other than 
I, I, I don't have a name for this. I, I came out, try to come up with the title, have nothing for it. So it's basically the uh, idea of the game is I'm going to give you a player, obviously not going to tell you your name. That's their name. That's who you have to guess. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you every NHL team they played for in their career. I will go in order so you'll know where they started and ended. Um, from there, you can tell me um, if you think you know the player just off of it, uh, you can just try and solve it. Um, that'll be worth, we'll say, uh, we'll say that's worth 10 points, I guess. Um, if you don't know, which I think for a lot of these guys, you probably will not, you can start using clues. Um, so one clue would obviously take away a point. The first clue uh, would get you seasons played. Uh, the second clue would get you still active or the last year he was active. Uh, the third clue would get you a, the longest serving team that he played for. Um, the fourth clue would get the year drafted. The fifth clue would get the games that he, the total amount of NHL games played. And the sixth clue would be non NHL teams that he played for. So either junior teams, if he played in the NHL, if he went across seas before or after his career. Um, so obviously if I said, so like the example I gave you today, I don't know. Did you, I'm assuming you probably knew who I gave you. Uh, I I'll, we'll do it right here quick for anyone listening. Uh, I said, this guy played for the Nordiques, the Toronto Maple Leaf and the Vancouver Canucks. Good old Sundin. Yes. So obviously you didn't need any clues there. Matt Sundin, you would get 10 points for that. Um, if for whatever reason you had no idea who that guy was, you could be, maybe you only need two clues. You go, all right, give me, give me two clues. So you get seasons played, uh, which I would have to quickly count it up. Um, and I would say that looks like about 18 for Matt Sundin. Um, and then you would get last year played, which would be 0809. Um, so then again, if you, if you hear that and you still don't know what you want to do, uh, you can ask for a couple more if you want, but, uh, you know, the idea is obviously eventually you make a guess. So I have six categories here, three players in each category. So, um, I'll, we'll go two categories that you can pick and then you can pick player A, B, and C, and that, that'll be the player guessing. Uh, I kind of went random. I, I, I came with the category idea and then looked for people to fit them. Uh, I tried, most of these guys have played over 500 games and I tried making it mostly guys that have played at least within the last four or five years. There's a couple of them that have probably retired about a decade ago, but I think they're big enough names. You might be able to get them anyways. Okay. So um, the, the first two categories you can choose from are uh, D-men that played for Toronto or career revitalizers. So D-men that played for Toronto are pretty simple. It's D-men that have been on multiple teams, but one of them were the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the other one was career revitalizers. Those are guys that uh, are still playing now. Uh, so you know, there's a hint, obviously, um, but are still playing now, but not in the role that they might have about six or seven years ago. They've been found a more effective depth role. Let's go career revitalizers. Ooh, okay. I thought maybe, I thought for sure you would go with D-men that played for Toronto. All right, player A, B, or C? Uh, we'll start C. All right. Uh, C, let me pull him up here. And I'm just going by hockey DP on this. Um, so he went, he started, I went with Columbus, New York Rangers, Ottawa Senators, Pittsburgh Penguins, Florida Panthers, Colorado Avalanche, New York Islanders, Arizona Coyotes, Philadelphia Flyers. Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> a lot of teams. Okay. Where did he start again? Uh, Columbus. Columbus. Ends in Philly. See, my snap reaction was like Jack Johnson, um, but he's not in Philly, obviously. Um, God, that's a lot of teams. You can use some clues if you want. Okay, give me one clue. All right, so first clue would be seasons played. Which I have to count it up here. Uh, oh, it's fine. Is it Broussard, right? It, yes, it is Derek Broussard. Yeah. Oh be. All right. God, that's, that's, that's a, a lot of teams. Start. I know. I couldn't believe how many teams, because it felt like he was on Ottawa. And like, I always get him and um, uh, who the hell did they pick up from the Coyotes? Uh, Stepon. Step oh, on. yeah. I get, the I get him Ranger Step Center on, on the. Yeah. 
Yeah. I get those two mixed up. So when I read these out, I was like, is this the right player? But yeah, he went from, uh, I always forget he played in Columbus because I think of him as a Ranger. And then obviously he got traded to Ottawa in the Spanajet trade. And then to Pittsburgh in the deal where they got like Phil Gustafson, who's their big young netminder now. And then he went to Florida. Um, looked like he was going to fizzle out of his career in Florida and Colorado. And then went back to New York and found uh, his role there. 32 points in 66 games. Then last year at 20 and 53 with the Coyotes. And then this year has 11 and 22 with the Flyers. So strange. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, that, that's, geez, you might get a couple more of these than I, I thought you might then. Um, that's good though. Uh, I'm glad. So I'll, I'll give you 10 points for that one um, because uh, yeah, I, you didn't need the actual clue. Um, all right. The second the, the next two categories I have here are players turned TSN or Sportsnet analyst and uh, double trouble is a category. So players who have won two cup, at least two cups, or sorry, have won two cups on separate teams. So they have at least two cups and those have had to come on separate teams. Let's go TV analyst. Okay. Uh, a, B, or C? We'll go A. A, okay. This one... I don't know. This one could be interesting. Uh, all right. So he played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Phoenix Coyotes, the Montreal Canadiens, and the St. Louis Blues. They have a lot of teams. I started with the Leafs. Yeah. I'm going to need a hand. All right. How many do you want? Just one? Yeah, I'll start with one. Okay. Uh, he played... Sorry, counting. 13 seasons. 13 seasons, and he started with the Leafs. See, there's so many freaking players. Started with the Leafs? That was his first team, yes. Okay, I was going to say Colby Armstrong, but no. Because he ended there, right? The next hits um, are still active or last year active. Uh, the third one would be longest serving team. Uh, fourth would be your draft if you want any more hits. Give me the next two hints. Okay, so last, it's obviously, if he's an analyst, he's obviously not still active. His last year uh, was with St. Louis in 0708. Uh, his last NHL year, I should say. Uh, and then his longest serving team would be a tie between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Phoenix Coyotes. Toronto Phoenix. Uh, so you're still just tuning out after TV analysts. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the last year he played was 08. Yes. Okay. Uh, is it Mike Johnson? It is Mike Johnson. Geez, there we go. Two for two. He, I didn't know he played for the Coyotes. Yeah, he's actually like, so he started in Toronto, uh, went to the cup final with them in his first full season, I believe. Uh, or sorry, no, 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 he didn't. Uh, he went to the conference final in his second full season. Uh, that was the 98-99 year, I think they went to the conference final. Um, and then got traded to Tampa Bay in 1990-2000, played a year and a half in Tampa Bay. Uh, then went to the Coyote, got traded to the Coyotes uh, in 2001, uh, played the 12 games with them that year, 57 the following, 82 the next. Uh, and then 11 in the 0304 year. Uh, obviously, didn't play in the lockout year because there was a lockout. Uh, played 80 games with Phoenix in 0506, and then went to Montreal for a season, and then St. Louis for part of a season. Um, so that would be seven points, I guess. Then uh, I, there's not, I guess I, there's not really points in tracking points uh, when there's no one to play against, but we'll do it anyways. Uh, I guess the other thing was, did you did you want to know the other two people in the categories? Yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, so the last one, the career revitalizers, I also had Tyler Ennis and Jason Spezza were the two other ones. 
Spezza would have been a good one, though. Fact. I was going to say, so Spezza, I think you would have got for sure. Ennis, that would have been a questionable one. Um, the other two in players that I had for Tarantia Sensa Sports Analyst is Ray Ferraro and Louis DeBrusque. So I think I think you probably got the easiest one there, unless you exactly know where Ferraro played. Ray would have been easier, but then Louis like, DeBrusque, yeah. I would have literally never got. I, I kind of want, I, well, and so I was like, I had two uh, TSN guys. I want a Sportsnet guy. There's not as many that are like a mix of Sportsnet that I thought because they had the old guys like Kelly Rudy who haven't played since like the late 80s. And then they have like Kevin Bieksa where it's like, oh, he played for Vancouver and Anaheim. This is a hard one, you know, like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was a harder one than I thought. But I was like, oh, well, we'll see. Uh, A lot of these are kind of two, one easy one, one kind of in the middle and one pretty hard one. So, um, okay. The next two categories I have is a whole lot of nothing, which is players who have played over a thousand NHL games with no awards of any kind uh, in the NHL. So I'm not including um, Olympics or anything like that Um, and missed opportunities. So players that made an all-star team after they were traded. Go with the first one. Whole lot of nothing. All right. Player A, B or C. Go uh, C again. All right. I think this is the easiest one, to be honest. Um, Let me just pull him up. I was kind of shocked he had never won anything, to be honest. But he um, played with the Florida Panthers, the Calgary Flames, and the St. Louis Blues. Florida Panthers, Calgary Flames, and St. Louis Blues, and he's never done a goddamn thing. Uh, yeah, that's give me the first hint. First hint. So years, seasons played would be one, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seven, eighteen years played. Jeez, and he started with Florida. Give me the last year he played. Uh, 2019-20. Blues. 2019-20 roster. So that is what? The one year after they won the cup? Is it? Yeah. Uh, okay. Drafted by Florida? That's Bowmeister. Yes, it is, Dave Bowmeister. There we go. Wow, you're way better at this than I thought you. You would kill me at this game. I don't think I'd be able to get this at all. This game is stunningly difficult relative (laughs) to getting the name. You are killing this, though. Starting with the name. That's another eight points on the board. Uh, Yes, it is Dave Bowmeister. Obviously, his uh, last season was cut short with St. Louis because he – did he have a heart attack on the bench? He was a guy, like, he passed out on the ice, right? I believe so. Yeah, so um, obviously his career was cut, uh, well, it's kind of hard to say short. I mean, he was, I think, 36 at the time and had still played uh, 1,240 games. Uh, But, yeah, he never won anything. He did win, uh, I believe, three golds with Canada at the World Juniors in 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, And then I think won again in a 2003 World Championships pool. Uh, But in the NHL, he... I guess he won a cup, but he never won like a individual award is what uh, this category is supposed to be. So yeah, no and he King was, Clancy, nothing like that. He always seemed to be like one of the most overrated players ever. What the deal? Yeah, like I would be curious to see what like his analytics would say because I've never really checked them. But like when he was in Calgary, was he a good defenseman? I don't really know. People just always seem to love him. They were like aggressively mediocre, if I remember correctly, because some people I remember they were like, oh, is Jay Bomeister a Hall of Famer? Because I believe he has an Olympic gold medal, too. So it's like um, gold medal, Stanley Cup. Yeah, that could be. I, I don't know if he does. Actually, I don't think he does. He might not have. But anyways, it was like. Like the Eli Manning of minus beating Tom Brady of or of uh, Hall of Fame cases. It looks like uh, the Twins had him as replacement level for three years in Calgary, and then uh, decent for one year in which he got traded. 
Okay, never mind. Yeah, he does have an Olympic gold. The 2010 one, right? That sounds right. I think he might even been on the 24 or the 2016 World Cup team. Yeah, that could be. He was just like the career compiler, even though he was never legitimately good. The yeah. Twins have him as a career standing points above replacement of three. Hmm. So what's that going to be in wins? Like 0.5? Oh, no, 1.6. Oh, yeah, standing point, not goals. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, the other two in this category, this was a lot harder than I thought it'd be. So I just – that's why I didn't even bother including Stanley Cup as, like, one. But uh, Ray Whitney was another one, and Alexi Kovalev. Oh, I would have never got either of those two. Kovalev was one where I was shocked that he didn't have any, like, personal awards. Yeah, didn't he like have a whole bunch of really high scoring seasons? I thought so. He had the one in Pittsburgh in 01 where he had 95 points in 79 games. But other than that, he never eclipsed. He eclipsed, uh, sorry. And then the following year, he had 76 and 67, but he never eclipsed 70 other than that. Oh, no, sorry. He did one more uh, Montreal in 07 08 with 84. It looks like the, the Twins album has like one of the best players in the league in that 0708. He was, I, I do remember him being very good. And like, I, it's funny because his, I was shocked to find out that he played so long with New York and Pittsburgh and then New York again. Cause I was thinking it was a Montreal Canadian. Cause yeah, that was I like, right. As I was getting to. into hockey, he played five years with Montreal, right. As they were kind of like making playoffs every year and then came to Ottawa for two years and then went to Pittsburgh yeah. and then Florida. Yeah. But um, yeah, so th- those were the other two names. Uh, probably not a category I'll be repeating because I, th- like, I thought there was going to be a couple that were like easy enough or whatever. That was a tough one. Um, Ray Whitney's like very high up on NHL game playlist, though. Um, really? Yeah. So is another guy that uh, I'm not going to bring up because he is in one of the other categories he didn't pick. But uh, let's do one more. Let's do, I'll give you a pick of the D men played for Toronto, double trouble. So that's guys with two cups, uh, cups on different teams. Uh, and missed opportunities. All star a player made the all star game after they were traded. We'll go uh, D. Okay, uh, A, B, or C? Mm, B. All right. Um, just pull them up again. Sorry. Uh, this has been uh, way better than I thought. I thought there was either a chance that uh, you were just not going to be able to get any of these or um, this, I think that you might be able to get this one, to be honest, pretty easy. All right, so this is a fun one. Montreal, then Columbus, then Anaheim, then Toronto, then Anaheim, then Colorado, then Anaheim. Francois Boschman? Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh man. All right. I'll, I'll do, I'll just see one more is on this list too. Cause I want to see if you can get, you could probably get all three of these. I, I think um, Nashville, Toronto, Nashville, Buffalo, Chicago. Nashville start. Nashville, Toronto. Do you say Nashville, Toronto, Nashville, Buffalo, Chicago? Yeah. Uh, give me a hint. This one like, uh, is on the tip of my tongue. I think you will be able to get this one with a couple of hints. Uh, seasons played. Nine. Nine seasons played. Uh, give me another hint. His last active year. That's the last one, I think, right? Yeah. Last active year was 2017-18. Okay. 2017-18. Which means he would have been playing with like the tanking leaves or like before that, probably. He's a defenseman. Can't say. Actually, I can't say. I guess the hint was uh, the the category is D men that played for Toronto. So yes. Starts in Nashville. Yeah. In Nashville. Who's the other team? Buffalo. And Chicago and Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Is it uh, what's his name? He's like Jake Gardner, but right-handed. Actually, they didn't really play alike, but everybody hated them despite the fact that he was a Corsi god. Oh God, what's his name? Cody Franzen. 
Yes, it is Cody Franson. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, he got flipped back to – he was on those tanking leaf teams. He came in Toronto 11-12, and they thought they were going to be good, played on that uh, Boston collapse team, obviously the four, uh, the 18-wheeler team. And then in 14-15, <laughs> when Babcock came in, he had 32 points in 55 games, got flipped to the Predators at the deadline. So that's why he went back to Nashville, then played two years in uh, Buffalo, a year in Chicago, and Calder quit. Well, then he floated around. He went to uh, – um, the KHL for two years and two more years in the AHL. And then um, it's still active, I guess, actually, now that I look at it, because he has 25, he has 25 points in 39 AHL games with the Hershey Bears this year. Hmm. So, Oh, there we go. Um, that's actually, that went way better. I, I think I could probably even test you a little more. So I, uh, I have two, two categories I think keep for next time. Um, the other player in that category is Ron Hainsey. Oh, Hainsey. Uh, he would have been a good one. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't sure. I was like, I think because he played on both Toronto and Ottawa, you might have been able to get it. But yeah, Hainsey's is a wild one. Uh, Montreal, Columbus, Pittsburgh would Atlanta. have done it for me with Hainsey. Yeah, Tor- Montreal, Columbus, Atlanta, Winnipeg, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Ottawa is his uh, career arc. So I think Pittsburgh to Toronto, you probably would have got pretty easily. But yeah. yeah, I have to get people to let us know what they think of this game. I had a lot of fun making this and. Uh, this is definitely one that I think we could pull out uh, when we don't have much to do or even get a third. I was thinking like a charter on the podcast and, and play head to head maybe, but um, even just cool. seeing, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to beat this record, but uh, seeing, you know, how many points you can get every time, obviously. Um, but yeah, you like, really have to let us know if you like that game. Cause uh, I definitely had fun making that one. And uh, I was really impressed. Actually, I, I was really worried that it was going to be like just four swing and misses. Be like, oh, this is going to be depressing to listen to. But you killed that. So I'm a little mad that I got Francois, Francois Beauchemin so quickly and not Cody Franzen. Cody Franzen was a classic. You and uh, Luke always talk about him as well, where it's like he was supposed to be the hope for the Toronto Blue Line yeah. back in the day, too. Like, yeah. So. Um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sentence and stuff, and my work at lastwordonhockey.com. Chase on Twitter at cmhockey66 and actionnetwork.com. Um, I hope everyone has a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.